Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the conversation that Jesus was having with Nicodemus as is recorded in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, it says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, what I was explaining in the previous program is that there were six different ways that a person could be born again, according to Pharisaical Judaism. And so in verse 4, when Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? What he was referring to was the fact that he had already been born again, again and again. And the only way that he could be born again, according to the way that the Pharisees perceived that phrase, the only way he could be born again is if he was born again in his mother's womb. Jesus did speak to him about the earthly matter or the earthly things in the sense that you must be born of flesh before you can be born of the Spirit. And he used the phrase that the Pharisees understood, that the Pharisees used. Jesus effectively spoke to Nicodemus using his language and then added to it by saying you must be born again to say that there was another way to be born again that the Pharisees were not paying attention to. And that is to be born again by the restoration of the Holy Spirit, so that you can be born again by the Spirit. This is what I was presenting in the previous program. I talked about the way that a person could be born again if they were not a Jew. If a Gentile converted to Judaism, then the Pharisees described that as being born again. You would be born again if you were a Jew coronated as the king of Israel, and Nicodemus apparently did not qualify for that. You were born again when you were a boy and you became a man. Nicodemus certainly qualified for that. So that was the first way that Nicodemus was born again, as he understood what it meant to be born again. The second way that Nicodemus would have been born again was when he was married. 
Now, the evidence that we have that shows that Nicodemus was married is found in verse 1, that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. With the phrase that we have, a ruler of the Jews, that tells us that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. To be a member of the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. To be a Pharisee, you did not have to be married. It was not a requirement to be married to become a Pharisee. However, to become a ruler of the Jews, to have a position on the Sanhedrin, it was required that you were married. You did have to be married in order to have that position. The main reason why was because they wanted to be sure that you were obeying all of the commandments. And the greatest commandment that is normally described as the greatest commandment is the commandment where God said you are to be fruitful and multiply. That was considered to be the first and the greatest commandment. And this was not likely going to take place unless you were married. And so in order to ensure that you were in full compliance with all of the law, You needed to be married in order to be on the Sanhedrin, at least at some point in your life that it was recognized in that way. Now, in Christianity, we look at leadership a little bit differently. For example, when Paul was talking with Timothy about the qualifications for someone who would be in a leadership position, he asserted that a person should be the husband of a wife and that he should have children, that they respect him, things like that. That's something different. That was presented for the purpose of trying to organize the church in the region that Timothy was located in at that time to deal with the social issues that were present in the culture that Timothy was presently working in, where he was presenting the gospel and setting up a church that in order to define who would be in positions of authority, Paul laid out some criteria, and those were good criteria that he gave For that particular circumstance. However, that would not be accepted in Pharisaical Judaism because of the possibility that maybe the wife and or the children would decide to have no respect for her husband or the children have any respect for their father in order to use that as a form of extortion. That could very well be the case. That does happen a lot in Christianity where the wife will threaten their husband in some respect if he's a pastor or he's a leader in the church. Sometimes the children feel that they have a sense of power and control over their father. If they rebel and they violate the laws of God, then their father doesn't look like he should have the position that he should have. And so he should be nicer to them. He should be more polite. He should give them a bunch of stuff. This does take place. You should be aware of the element of extortion that can be applied when this criteria is used in all cases. But in this case, what we have is we have a scenario where they just wanted to be sure that the person who was on the Sanhedrin was compliant with all of the commandments. That was the main purpose for why the person would be expected to be married. And so Nicodemus certainly was married in order to hold this kind of a position. And this would be another way that he was born again. The other way that he would be born again or that he could be born again was if he becomes a rabbi. And he is recognized by Jesus as a rabbi in verse 10, where Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? Well, for him to be the teacher of Israel... That means, first and foremost, that he is a rabbi. To be born again as a rabbi, it was expected that you would take the position as a rabbi, as a teacher, after the age of 30. 
in general, according to Pharisaical Judaism, in general, when you reach the age of 30, you will have been married, you will have had children, you will have already been a contributing member to society, and you will already have a reputation to society. If you did not have any children, that's fine. You can still be a rabbi. It's just that they expected you to already live your life and also be a contributing member to other people's lives. On that basis, you would have esteemed a reputation of some kind. On that basis, you would be recognized as a person who has lived at least one lifetime in a sense. And so you would have the opportunity, you would have the ability and the opportunity to present what you have learned to others in order to pass on the knowledge that you acquired while you were growing up, while you were becoming an adult and a member of civilization, you could now pass on what you learned to someone else who could make use of it. And so it was generally expected by the age of 30 that a person had their life together. And at that time, the Pharisees as a whole would be willing to respect an individual who took the position as a rabbi or as a teacher over others. Nicodemus certainly qualified in that way, and so he was born again, he was born anew, when he became a rabbi after the age of 30. But it says here in verse 10, more explicitly, that he was the teacher of Israel. To be recognized as the teacher of Israel, this means that he was also the head of a rabbinical school, where he would be teaching rabbis. He was a rabbi of rabbis, and this was the last way that he could be born again, for him to become the head of a rabbinical school, or the head rabbi of a rabbinical school, one who is teaching teachers to teach others. This was a unique position, and it was expected that you would do this after the age of 50, if you were still alive, you would do this after the age of 50, where you would teach others how to teach others. And in this scenario, you will have had perhaps 20 years of experience in teaching others. So now you can convey what you learned about teaching others to those who were wanting to teach others also. This was the last way that Nicodemus could have been born again. And from what I can see here in verse 10, Nicodemus did qualify in this way. There were no other ways in Pharisaical Judaism that a person could be born again. And so when Jesus said, you must be born again, Nicodemus responded by saying in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What he means is, is that does he have to be born by his mother again and start out as a little baby and work his way through again? He's already been born again everywhere there is to be born. This is the only way left. Jesus was explaining to him, another way, that there was another way that had not yet been disclosed. And that was to be born again by the Spirit, by the Spirit of God. And this was extremely important. Jesus explained to him that you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again in this way. So you can be born again by becoming a man. You can be born again by getting married. You can be born again by becoming a rabbi, and you can be born again by becoming a rabbi of rabbis, and you would still not enter the kingdom of God. You must be born by the Spirit. The Spirit must dwell within you, and you must be resurrected by the Spirit. Now, Nicodemus 
apparently did not understand what Jesus was talking about here in John chapter 3. From the additional information that we do have about Nicodemus, we know that he did eventually surrender to the truth of the Lord Jesus. I believe there's more than enough evidence to show that Nicodemus eventually understood what Jesus was talking about. He was born again by the Spirit and he was made alive. We have some evidence, for example, in chapter 7, John chapter 7, beginning in verse 50, where it says, Nicodemus, he who came by Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. There is the indication that Nicodemus was beginning to embrace what Jesus was saying. It turns out that there were some prophets from Galilee, but apart from that, the other people definitely rejected the possibility that maybe he was a prophet. And then later on in John chapter 19, we have verse 38, where it says that Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and then in verse 39, And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen, with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. And so we do know that Nicodemus performed actions, and he had associations with people who were disciples of Jesus, but in this case, they were disciples in secret. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus in secret. Nicodemus apparently did not let everybody know that he was a disciple of Jesus. He was a disciple secretly. He was a believer, but he was a believer secretly. He was what I would like to call a stealth believer, not an open believer, not one who would let other people know that he genuinely believed. This was not the case until later. Later on, we do know that he did openly confess and testify what he believed about Jesus. We know this because we have records in the Talmud. We have a description of him. We know what he was doing. We know the kind of work he was doing, and we know what happened in his life because it's recorded in the Talmud, and it was recorded as a warning. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. The first thing I wanted to emphasize is the point that he was not an open believer. Now, why would he not be open about his beliefs? Well, as you continue to read in the Gospels, you can see that, for the most part, the people who were in positions of authority did not want to believe in Jesus. And if someone did believe in Jesus, they would be persecuted. And so Nicodemus was a great risk. He had tremendous risk with regards to his beliefs. What would happen to Nicodemus if he confessed to people that he believed Jesus was the Messiah? He would probably lose his position on the Sanhedrin. He would probably lose his position as a rabbi. He might even lose his wife. He would no longer be married. I mean, the consequences could be enormous. What about his work? He was not paid as a Pharisee. It was against Pharisaical traditions to be paid for teaching the scriptures, to teach the word of God. It was taught that the word of God was given to us freely, and so we should give it to others freely. This is one of the reasons why it was very hard to get someone to teach people about 
the Lord. Why it was difficult to get a rabbi. The reason why was because they were not going to be compensated for that, and they had a limited amount of time to work with. This is one of the advantages that we have of being able to support those who are teaching us, because then they don't have to do some other kind of work and have a very limited amount of time, extremely limited, to the extent where it would be very difficult for you to get them to tell you about the Lord Jesus. But with Nicodemus, he had a job. What did he do? He dug wells. We know that because in Ta'anit 19b, this is in the Talmud, Ta'anit 19b, Nicodemus was recognized as the well digger. He spent his life behind a shovel. He dug wells. He repaired wells. That's what he did. And he was recorded there as a warning because in Ketubot 66b, another text in the Talmud, Ketubot 66b, there was a warning to others not to believe in Jesus like he did because he ended up in poverty. And poverty was a sign that you were cursed by God, not blessed by God. If you were obedient to God, he would bless you. If you are disobedient to God, he will curse you, according to the Mosaic Law. And so Nicodemus was at great risk concerning his beliefs because the people would reject him, word would get around, and then who would be willing to hire him? Who would be willing to give him a job? I mean, it was easy for him to get a job before because he was so well known. He was so well respected. He was the teacher of Israel. If you needed work on your well or you wanted a new well, you call him. He is the man. He is the one who is blessed by God. He will probably be able to help you through the power of God fix your well or dig your well in a way that you probably have a higher likelihood of finding water, you know, things like that. Nicodemus had a big advantage over the other well diggers in the area. As a result, he had a lot of work that he could do. He could earn a lot of wealth because he was working. But towards the end of his life, he died in poverty, and it was recorded as a warning, but this is mainly just because of the rejection of the people because he openly proclaimed his belief and trust in the Messiah. This is a big warning, and it has affected a lot of people. In 2006, for example, there was a head rabbi who died in Israel. This was in 2006. His name was Yitzhak Kaduri. He lived to be 108 years old, and he was a very well-respected rabbi. He had a photographic memory, and he had devoted his life to studying the Talmud, as I just described, so he certainly knew about Nicodemus and what happened to him. And I've read through a few of his messages that he gave just before he died, some of the things that he taught, and from what I can tell, I personally believe he said a number of things that showed that he was a young believer, a young believer in the sense that he was a believer in the Lord Jesus. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He was just a little bit immature in his faith. He was growing a little, but certainly not as much as he would grow if he was a little bit more devoted to his pursuit of his knowledge of Jesus as the Messiah and what that would imply. But he died at 108, and what he did was he left a note to be opened a year after his death. And when the note was opened, the note said, the name of the Messiah is Yeshua. This was a clear and open testimony 
that Yitzhak believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He just never told anybody. Now, what I would be a little bit concerned about myself is what kind of a conversation did he have with God when he died? I mean, he would go before the Lord as a believer. He would have a place in the kingdom of heaven, certainly, being resurrected from the dead if he believed the gospel. And he goes before the Lord and he talks with him for a little bit. The Lord says, you know, I'm so excited to see you. I'm glad you are here. I have a place for you. I'm very excited to see you, a person who believes in me, one of my children who has been born again. We certainly have a lot to talk about. But one of the things I was wondering is, did you tell anybody about me when you were there on earth? And what's Yitzhak going to say? Is he going to say, well, don't worry, God, I, I left a note and they'll open it a year later. Is is that the kind of conversation that you would like to have with the Lord? I am not interested in having that kind of a conversation. I'm sure that Yitzhak would not be punished for such a thing, but that kind of a conversation is not what I would like to have with my God. But that is exactly what he did. And I know what it's like in the synagogue. I know what it's like in these circles of influence I am very confident in what I believe Yitzhak was dealing with, and that was what would happen if he confessed that he believed in Jesus. He would lose his job. He might lose his pension. He's going to lose his friends, his neighbors. He might have to go to work at 107 years old. He would definitely have a major change in his life if he told people that he believed Jesus was the Messiah, and that is a price that is very high to pay. There are very few people who are willing to pay that price. Right now, as this program is being broadcasted, I know that there are a lot of Jews who are listening to me. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know the price that you will probably have to pay. The rejection of your family, the rejection of your friends, the rejection of your associations in the synagogue. Who you work for might need to change. You may lose your job. What about your spouse? What's your spouse going to do? Are they going to take you to court and divorce you over your change in beliefs? That could very well happen. You understand the risks that are involved and they are very real. But do you want to have that kind of conversation with God? I would like to strongly encourage you to give that a lot more thought and consider when and how you're going to start letting people know who the Messiah is, and do not live as some secret stealth believer. Many of you are pastors and are leaders in your church, and you listen to me. I know, because we can tell, listening to the things that you teach, word has gotten around concerning what I have presented, what I have taught, and it is finding its way into many pastors' sermons all over the world. And for those of you who are listening to me right now, How long are you going to wait before you're going to tell people about the truth of forgiveness? How long are you going to wait? Are you going to wait until after you're dead? Are you going to leave a note behind and say, oh, by the way, we are forgiven of all of our sins and he doesn't hold our sins against us anymore. We are no longer under the old covenant at all. There is a new covenant and we no longer live by repentance and obedience, but we now live by the inheritance we have received. You've been listening to me, and you know that's the truth of the new covenant, but you won't tell people because you're afraid of what you're going to lose. And you might say, well, Aaron, you know, it's easy for you to say. You've got this great international ministry, and people support you on that basis. You, You know what? I do work outside of Living God Ministries. I have to. 
We do have policies concerning how the funds are used, and the overwhelming majority is spent on broadcasting, not on how do I get paid. That's not our model, and we're not that listener-supported. The last time I calculated how many people were listening and how many people were supporting, I had to describe it in exponential notation. It was something around two to three times ten to the minus four, and that was many years ago. Now it's probably two to three times ten to the minus five, or maybe minus six. If we were to move that up to ten to the minus three, or Maybe ten to the minus two in terms of the percentage of people who are appreciating the work that I have done and would like other people to benefit from it as well. We would be broadcasting on every radio station almost in the world, but that's okay. We're effective with what we're doing. We're effective just fine, and we will use all that we can get. And so, I wanted to take a minute to describe to you the importance and the significance of public confession. To publicly testify of what you know is true, as Nicodemus said, that they knew that he was a teacher who came from God, because no one could do what he did unless God was with him. If that is true, then let people know this is part of who you are. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box three eight three five three, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Eight zero nine three seven, or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net. Thank you,